and welcome to episode 72 of the Dason Digest podcast. I am Jeanette Bouchard, a liaison clinical pharmacist with Dason. We're going to discuss an outpatient article looking at clinical risk scores in urinary tract infections, or UTS. In today's episode, I'll, I will be reviewing the article, Clinical Risk Scores to Predict Non-Susceptibility to Trimethoprim Sulfamethoxazole, Fluoroquinolone, Nitrofurantoin, and third-generation cephalosporin among adult outpatient episodes of complicated urinary tract infections. This was published in Open Forum Infectious Diseases in June 2023. To set the stage a little bit before we get into the article, complicated UTIs are one of the most common bacterial infections in adults with about 80% occurring in the outpatient setting with oral antibiotics as their treatment. A delay in appropriate treatment of these complicated UTIs is common. Um, oftentimes, patients are put on one antibiotic before leaving the provider's office empirically or emergency department, only to have the antibiotic changed a few days later um, to one that is more susceptible. So patients may receive appropriate antibiotics three to five days later, or they might not even receive any antibiotics or appropriate antibiotics at all if the patient decides not to go pick up the new prescription. These scenarios can all lead to adverse outcomes, such as treatment failure and increased antibiotic exposure. Um, and those who do not get proper antibiotic treatment upfront are at higher risk for rehospitalization. Prediction tools are often used inpatient to predict resistance to certain disease states. So we normally combine these with antibiograms to help providers to pick the best possible empiric options. There are some prediction tools that are used for outpatients, but not many. Um, this area of stewardship and in general um, data is not super developed. Um, however, with a lot of the new CDC aspects of outpatient stewardship, we might start seeing more prediction tools as well as more um, resistance data for our outpatient cultures. There was a retrospective study from Open Forum Infectious Diseases in 2019 that developed a scoring system for community-acquired UTIs to identify patients with multidrug-resistant organisms. Um, and then there was also another retrospective study in 2020 that looked specifically at predictors of trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole resistance in community-onset UTIs. So um, a little bit different than the article we're going to discuss today in that they were just looking at predictors of trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole resistance. Um, but kind of along the same lines, but there are still little data to, to support the use of prediction tools outpatient or even um, looking at prediction tools outpatient. Now, on top of the limited data on prediction tools and resistance outpatient, there are more limited antibiotic choices for outpatients compared to inpatients. So um, a lot of times for outpatients, we're stuck using our oral antibiotic therapies, which um, do not necessarily go quite as broad as some of our inpatient IV therapies. Um, and we also have a lower selection when it comes to our outpatient therapy. So it can be a little bit more difficult to choose the most appropriate empiric option um, outpatient compared to inpatient. Now, given that delay in therapy can have negative outcomes and there are limited resources assisting in predicting resistance for outpatients, this study is a great addition to the data to assist providers in making the best decisions empirically. So let's dive in. This is a retrospective case cohort study among adults in the Kaiser Permanente system, specifically Southern California, from January 2017 to December 2020. 
This study looked at patients with a documented complicated UTI in the outpatient setting. Patients were excluded if they had a complicated UTI diagnosis um, in the 30 days prior to that study, the beginning of the study period. Um, and then patients could have more than one episode of a complicated UTI and they were tracked um, as independent episodes, but they had to have the end of their initial treatment and their sub the start of their subsequent episode be at least 30 days apart. The purpose of this study was to develop clinical risk prediction scores to estimate the probability of non-susceptibility to trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole, fluoroquinolone, nitrofurantoin, and third-generation cephalosporin. The authors focused on these specifically as they're the most likely antibiotics to be prescribed for outpatient adults with complicated UTIs. Clinical risk scores were developed separately for each drug or drug category of interest. Um, and these clinical scores they looked specifically at um, the clinical scores that were associated with greater than or equal to 20% likelihood of non-susceptibility, um, and they chose to highlight those. So looking at each drug's um, risk score that they created with the data and looking to see what that specific score was that would lead to a greater than 20% likelihood of non-susceptibility and really honing in on that being your clinical decision maker of um, whether it would be appropriate empiric or not. This 20% cutoff was determined based on the threshold for the use of trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole in uncomplicated UTIs and pyelonephritis in women um, based off of the 2011 IDSA guidelines. So this is something that we've kind of had for years with trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole. The paper that I mentioned earlier that talks about um, risk factors for trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole resistance um, does also use this 20% cutoff when they go through their prediction risk score. And so the authors decided to just make this congruent across all categories. However, we do not have a specific cutoff for the other drugs that we typically use. Um, and so they just made the 20% cutoff consistent across all drugs. Some important definitions to know when looking at the methods of this study. Um, the outpatient setting was defined as a physician's office, urgent care, emergency department visit with no hospital admission on the same day and synchronous virtual care via video or telephone to so a telehealth visit. They defined a complicated UTI as a positive urine culture with antibiotic susceptibility, a diagnosis of a complicated UTI based off of ICD-10 CM codes within seven days plus or minus of the urine culture collection date, or an antibiotic prescription or prescriptions within three days of an index urine culture collection day. The index date was defined as the time of the first urine specimen collection. And then non-susceptibility was defined as intermediate or resistant to the drug based off of CLSI guidance. Of note, they did have the study population randomly split 60-40 into training and validation data sets. So the training data set was utilized to create risk scores, and then they were checked through the validation data set. A total of 30,450 complicated UTIs from about 26,326 patients were included in the study. So this is a huge data set. Um, one of the biggest ones, I think, out of all of the papers that I mentioned earlier that talked about outpatient risk scores. Um, and this is something, this large data set is something you get out of a big system like Kaiser, uh, Kaiser Permanente and why big systems with um, connecting health record systems are um, important for a lot of our studies and data mining. 
The median age of this data set was about 65 years with more complicated urinary tract infections occurring in females, so about 54% were female, and the most common racial or ethnic category being Hispanic at around 41%. Around 12% had a urinary tract device in, 30, in the 30 days prior to the index cultures, um, and then 53% did have a preceded UTI. Um, so we do see that these were um, along the lines of more complicated UTIs with some of these categories. Um, they also had a lot of patients had prior healthcare facility exposure, um, either via hospitalization or emergency department visit. So with hospitalization, about 24% of the population had exposure. And then for ED visit, it was about 49%. Of the identified pathogens, 37% were non-susceptible to trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole, about 20% were non-susceptible to fluoroquinolone, 27% non-susceptible to nitrofurantoin, and 24% were non-susceptible to third-generation cephalosporins. Um, overall, 2.8% were non-susceptible to all four antimicrobials of interest. I also do want to note that they did not include every single organism that came out of um, a urine. They specifically narrowed it down to a smaller group of gram-negative organisms and then a few gram-positive organisms. But of the organisms that they decided to include, it surmounted to about 98% of the total organisms that were um, grown out in culture. When looking at cross-resistance between the groups, the uh, antibiotic groups, of interest, it was high, um, ranging from 34% to 65%, depending on which ones you were looking at. So, for instance, um, for those that were non susceptible fluoroquinolones, about 65% of that population was also non susceptible to sulfamethoxazole trimethoprim. Covariates for non susceptibility were, for the most part, consistent across the four non susceptible phenotypes that were looked at. Um, patients who were age 65 or greater. Males with more comorbid conditions um, were some of the categories that were more likely to have non-susceptibility to the drugs that we looked that the authors looked at. Non-susceptibility was also more common in those with prior antibiotic exposure, prior hospitalizations, and more complicated UTI recurrences. When looking at the risk scores, so again, I highlighted that the authors were specifically looking at that greater than or equal to 20% predicted non-susceptibility, and so. Um, the risk scores that were associated with that greater than 20% non-susceptibility for trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole was zero, um, for fluoroquinolone was 10, nitrofurantoin was seven, and third-generation cephalosporin was 11. So the strongest predictor of non-susceptibility to trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole and fluoroquinolones was prior receipt of that specific antibiotic within the previous 90 days. Um, and so those were the categories that kind of gave the most points in the risk score. And then for the second strongest predictor, for third-generation cephalosporins, the second strongest predictor of non-susceptibility was also prior receipt of a third-generation cephalosporin within that 90 days. Um, and so these are, these are really big, this is a really big risk factor and something that you might want to clock as, as um, a risk factor that you look into for your own patients as they were highly associated with non-susceptibility in this specific data set. The predicted risk for the four non-susceptible phenotypes of interest were closely aligned with the observed risk in the training validation data set. So when they took their risk scores that they developed and then they inserted them into the training validation data sets and looked at the predicted risk um, based off of the risk 
score with the observed risk in the data set, they were very consistent. Um, and so the, the prediction tools that they created with the 60% of the data set um, did predict fairly well with the, the remaining 40. I want to discuss a few points from the study and dive a little bit deeper. So the first point I want to make is that prediction tools should be combined with local antibiogram data if there is one available. So the authors state that risk scores should also, they also state that they should be combined with the available susceptibility data as well as clinical judgment. So they recommend that risk scores be validated prior to use. Um, the risk scores developed in the mentioned study are based off of a population in Southern California that was predominantly female and Hispanic. So validation is necessary to ensure that scores are able to predict appropriately in other parts of the country. So it is notable that um, some of the major risk factors that they determined in this data set are consistent with previous data, such as previous antibiotic exposure and hospitalization. Another interesting point um, to touch on was the risk of non-susceptibility of trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole in the absence of risk factors exceeded 20%. So for their specific population, this indicates that it might not be the most appropriate empiric choice because even without any of the risk factors that they looked at, they still had a greater than 20% um, non-susceptibility, which we don't have any of their general antibiogram data um, because this data set was so large and I'm sure expand across, expanded across um, a number of different sites within the Kaiser Permanente system. We're not able to kind of look at their general trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole resistance rates to a lot of these organisms, but I would head to bet on it being fairly low, um, especially maybe to E. coli, which is one of our bigger organisms in this data set. Other papers have looked at risk factors for their specific institution with trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole and found that with no risk factors, the predicted risk was lower than um, 20% or wasn't quite as high as 20%. So this maybe needs is an area that needs validation before applying to your own institution. So I wouldn't say um, taking the specific risk score for trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole to your institution would be appropriate because um, some institutions may be more likely, maybe more able to use trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole based off of their local antibiogram. A few limitations to the study includes that the authors only looked at prior antibiotics out to 90 days. Um, so other papers have shown effects all the way out to a year prior. Um, one of the papers that I mentioned in 2020 was one of these um, papers. They also omitted factors that are not able, available on presentation, including prior colonization or infection. Um, so although this is a limitation because they're not including those specific factors in the risk score that they developed, um, it does make it very applicable to outpatient therapy. You don't often have this information at that point um, of making the empiric decision. So it makes the risk score really easy to use in that setting because you're not trying to look for information that you may not have. Another limitation would be different geographic locations and populations may have different distributions of non-susceptibility. So this was just in kind of south, the southern corner of California. And so um, we don't know how these risk scores would play out or how consistent they would be if you use them in the Northeast or the Southeast. Um, they also didn't use patient outcomes with the prediction score. So we kind of have um, a missing element of what those patient outcomes would be if we're using this prediction score to make our empirical decision. All in all, I think clinical risk scores like this can be very useful. 
Um, we do use some inpatient across a few sites, such as our anti-pseudomonal risk score, but it is important to validate the score within your population and determine if it's appropriate. I do think that when you're looking at your own data, a great starting point would be to look at your own susceptibilities or antibiograms. Um, if you have an outpatient antibiogram, that's even better. And then to also look at the risk factors that were top predictors in papers like this. So prior exposure to the specific drug you're trying to use within the last 90 days, healthcare exposure, things like that would be on the top of my mind to look into before making an empiric decision. And then combining this with your clinical judgment to guide therapy decisions. So obviously, um, trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole does have its issues and its drug-drug interactions. Um, and so making clinical judgment decisions based off of the best agent for um, your patient. I hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Dason Digest podcast. We do post the articles on the website so you can review the article and take a closer look. I will also be um, putting the articles that I have mentioned um, in the show notes as well. I would advise going in and looking at the specific article so you can kind of get a better understanding of the scoring for each antibiotic, which can be a little bit difficult to explain verbally. So I didn't go into depth as to each score for each different risk factors, but you can take a look at the article to see those. Our next podcast episode will occur on October 20th. So this is three weeks from now instead of two due to ID week in October. We look forward to you tuning in after ID week. Thank you. 